0: We are glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. It's good to, good to see your smiling faces. Hey, um, it's good to be with you. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here, pastor over preaching and vision. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I'm going to do this quickly before I forget. I'm getting glares from the kids. Um, if you are an elementary school, then we'll dismiss you now. We dismiss uh, you all um, a couple times a week where you can be with your peers and learn about Jesus, the same things we're learning about in here, but together with your friends. Go ahead and and, uh, go there. Okay, here we go. Um, We have been working through the book of First John over the last couple weeks, so if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and grab it and turn to the letter that John has written, 1 John. It's in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible. Uh, you've got all the letters near the end of your Bible. Hebrews is a big one, and then you've got First and Second Peter, and then First John. So go ahead and make your way to First John. If you're um, in a Bible, if you're scrolling through your, your device, you can find it that way. We've been looking at this letter, a letter written by John, probably written to the churches in Ephesus. Uh, John is by now an old man, probably some of the last writings we have in the Bibles, writing with great affection for his brothers and sisters, um, writing a letter not really to correct them on an issue um, per se, not, not a specific thing, but just to, to show them, to let them know, to remind them that they do have a God who is knowable, a God who can be known in, in ways in which we are known, and we know these things. We can be certain of them. That's that's John's point. You can be certain of these things. You can be sure of these things, that you, you are known by him. You are loved by him. He gave his son to pay the penalty of sin. And if we know and love God as an overflow of that, this has been John's um, uh, uh, words to us over and over, if we, we, we ha, are loved by God, we know God, the overflow of that then as we walk uh, uh, toward God, obedience, not towards sin. And so we saw this profoundly last week, that we can know we know God as we keep his commandments. And the love of God, John says, is perfected in us when we keep his word. And so we see this beautiful love of God shown in the sacrifice of his son. We're told that his blood cleanses us from sin. This is the gospel. We get to see the gospel played out um, in, in these pages, in these words, beautifully Uh, saw this last week where God's wrath was placed on Jesus and we receive God's favor, not because of anything we've done, but because of uh, the grace of God shown through his son. And the overflow then of that is is confession. Now, here's what I I said last week. We'll say it again. Confession then, when we believe the gospel, confession is not embarrassing and it's not belittling, but confession of sin is something we do as an overflow of knowing God has already taken care of the cost of our sin through his son. So the gospel is lived out um, in, in that way. We see it. And so um, the way that they, then we see that is, is that we have a love for others and a love for God. And I think that's what, not I think, we are going to see that um, today over and over, that we have a love for others and a love for God. So 1 John, is what we're looking at, chapter 2, verses 7 through 17 this morning. And if you are able this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read the entire text. At the end of our reading, I will say this is God's Word to which you can say thanks be to God. Um, This is how we respond, knowing that it is um, a a great gift of God. Starting in verse 7, John says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is God's Word. And you may have a seat. Um, remember that part of the reason that John wrote this letter was to, was to show us the, the sure and certain signs that we know God and that we are known by Him. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what kind of um, uh, mood or attitude or what kind of week you've had. You've walked in here this morning. I don't know where each of you are. Um, but, but this sort of understanding that, that we can know God and that we're known by Him, that kind of understanding... Um, is exactly what I need in this season. I'm writing sermons and, I, and I'm working through um, work from a place of emotional depletion in a lot of ways. Um, but, but from a place of, of spiritual need. And in that place of spiritual need, God is meeting me in the middle of that. He's meeting me right there. These words from John to show us the sure and certain signs that we can know God and that we're known by Him are helpful for me in, in this season. Maybe, maybe that's where you are as well. Really, John is showing us some, some simple and profound marks of a Christian. The so first, John says that Christians are, are to love one another. It's really simple, but it's profound. Christians are to love one another. It's very straightforward. Again, a term of affection in verse 7. He starts, Beloved. I'm not writing you a new command. This is actually an old commandment. It's an old commandment, and at the same time, it's a new commandment. It's both. It really spans the time as a command that you should know. Now, what what command is John talking about? This is a profound command that John is moving us toward. When we think of who is writing, we've got, we've got to keep that in mind. Who's writing? John, right? A disciple of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, one who is Remembering that intimate setting around the table that night when Jesus stripped down to wash his disciples' feet. It's that John who's in that room, right? We've got to remember the context of, of who is writing this letter. That John who was there with Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet in an act of humility and service. But, but not just an act of humility and service, it was, it was also an act uh, as an example. For us as well. Do you remember that scene where where Jesus says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. And you would think that after such a a beautifully life-changing moment, something so profound as that, that there would be radical life transformation among his friends. And there was, I, I think, probably to some extent you would think that there would just be radical transformation, but instead, after Jesus humbles himself and serves his friends, something devastating occurs. One of his close friends leaves the table to betray him, and after that, Jesus reveals that another one of his friends would deny him, and so we enter into this intimate setting among friends, Jesus serving them. What, what, what it, uh, starts as Jesus serving them turns into betrayal and denial. And sandwiched between those two sections, one friend's betrayal, one friend's denial, Jesus gives the new command, and this is what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Think about that. Think about the setting. But what has just happened, what's about to happen, he says what? A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. How? How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The same John who was in that room that night to hear this new commandment is now writing to his friends. And by extension, he's writing to us and he writes... And he says this, beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment. This is actually an old commandment. It's an old commandment from the Levitical law that we're bringing over. But it's a new commandment in that Jesus has given us something new to look at. He's given us some ways to think about this. Jesus has shown us the ultimate ways in which this commandment can be carried out. This commandment spans time as a command that you should know. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus... If I'm a follower of Jesus, it's a mark on our lives. It's our brand. It's the thing that defines us because it defines Jesus. Or or would we say, Jesus defines it? This command, however, has an enemy. Doesn't it? It has an enemy. This command to love others as Jesus has loved us has an enemy. I want you to hear this. Well, I, I need to hear this uh, as well. The, the command to humbly and sacrificially love others as Jesus has loved us has an enemy. And that enemy is what? Self, right? It, it's self. It's me. It's you. Loving others is in direct opposition to where we naturally are hu- humanly inclined to lean, isn't it? You feel that? John says, beloved, I'm not writing something new. This is old, uh, but it's new in that Jesus has shown the way. And if you're truly follower of Jesus, this is also to be your way. This is is our way. That's what John means in in verse 8. The darkness is passing away. This way of, of sinful life is fading away. As Jesus, who is light, continues to work on us, the Spirit continues to work in us, we're shaped by Jesus and His love toward us. And if that's confusing, John helps us by showing how it's worked out in life, the the implications of this command on us. And he shows us in three different ways, using this word whoever to mark the ways that he's showing us, whoever, whoever, whoever. In verse 9, he says, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is actually still in darkness. Whoever says he's following Jesus, whoever claims to be walking in the way of Jesus but hates his brother is actually not walking in the way of Jesus, whoever. Verse 10, again, whoever loves his brother is in fact in light, showing signs of walking in the way of Jesus, revealing that he or she is like Jesus. So as you love your brother or sister, you're walking in the light and there's no cause for stumbling. When do you most often stub your toe, right? Coincidentally, it's it's right around the time where you most often say things you shouldn't, right? Right. Um, when you most often stub your toe is at night, right? You get up to check on a kid, you get up to use the bathroom, whatever that is, and the edge of the bed reaches out to grab your toe. You know that moment? Why? Because you can't see it. That's the point that John is making, that in these moments of darkness, when light isn't illuminating the things that are around, those are the things that cause you to stumble. Whoever loves his brother is walking in the ways of Jesus. Nothing is tripping him up. Whoever, again in verse 11, whoever hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he or she is going. This darkness is blinding. So here's what John is doing. We've seen this over and over, and and we'll see it in the, the verses to come. He's using these stark contrasts of light and darkness to help us understand the way of walking in step with Jesus or not walking in step with Jesus. These are opposites, stark contrasts. But this, uh, this light and dark contrast is related, not just to light and dark, but, but to what? What is John trying to help us understand? Another very uh, stark contrast, and, and that is this, love and hate. If you think about those as, as love and hate, I think we think of love and not love. Isn't that how we often think about it? Love and I and, uh, didn't really love them. John says, no, it's, it's love and hate. They're active opposites, right? These aren't simply feeling emotional opposites. These are actions and they're marks on us, right? The call of the Christian is to love others. Again, I, this may be subtle, but I, I think it's important. The call on the Christian is not, don't hate others, right? It's subtle. The, the call on the Christian is to actively love others others. In the positive, the call is to love others. This is how we will be known because we're modeling the one who is worthy to be known, Jesus. Christians love others. It's revealed in, in their action. It's visibly seen among us. I was thinking about um, how this ought to impact us as a church, as the town church. How, how, does, this, how does this impact us? Now I'll just be honest, and I'm included in this so I can say this, we are a group of really strange people, right? And all of those who laughed it awkwardly right there um, are, are, are among us. Right? We are a group of really strange people coming from very different life experiences, very different backgrounds, um, very different hobbies and likes and, and dislikes, very different ages and seasons in life, different economic backgrounds. We are also very different in so many ways. In fact, if you were to say, hey, would you pick a, a group of 200 people from Fort Collins and put them together, you would not come up with this group, right? In fact, I think it's the very, the very thing that, that draws us in together. We don't have some artificial earthly thing to build our love around, right? I love that these people are just like me in every way. That's why I gather with them. No, I think it's just, just the opposite. What, what it means is, is while we have, may have nothing in earthly, earthly in, in common, we have in common, and I think this is what I need to have sink into my brain and my heart, What we do have in common is a great king and savior who loves us and and has called us by faith his own and is our example in love. The old and the new commandment calls us to love in active ways. And so as I think about this as a church for us together, how does it call us in active love toward one another? I think we could uh, spend a lot of time looking through the Bible to see lots of different ways that the Bible calls us to love, that God calls us to love. I, I came up with five this week that I, I, think, um, I, I think that I would love to see mark us. Uh, and I'll just say them this way. Christian love calls us to humbly serve. That's first. Christian love calls us to humbly serve. If you want to write down some verses um, that go along with these, you, you certainly can. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, that Jesus is our example in that. He did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility counted others more significant than himself, and we're called to be the same. This is the start of loving others. This is exactly what Jesus did in loving his friends when he washed their feet. Christian love calls us to humbly serve. How are we doing there? Uh, secondly, Christian love calls us to be patient and pursue unity. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, this one feeds off of the first one. In humility and gentleness, he says, be patient and bear with one another, or more literally, put up with one another. But he goes on, eagerly maintain unity. Eagerly. There's some eager uh, anticipation of pushing toward unity. We are all so different, and some of us really, really annoying Right There should be an amen there. And I'm not too loud next to the person who is annoying, but we're all really annoying people, and it takes patience and, and these differences then can cause division among us. It causes division, and it begins to push us apart. and and so my question is, what are we what are we doing to eagerly pursue unity, to pursue it, not just hope for it, but to pursue it? Christian love calls us to be patient and to pursue unity. Together we are family. Something we've been talking about as elders, and we don't know why this is yet, and we're working through how to shepherd a people, care for a people, but we seem to be in a season where people are leaving the church, not just our church, but leaving the church. So often what happens is people will come to us then as elders and say, hey, where is so-and-so? And our push back would be to say, if we're all pursuing unity together, go ask them. where Where are you? We love you? We care for you. We, we, we want you to be a part of our our family. Christian love calls us, calls us to to be patient and pursue unity. Third, Christian love calls us to forgive. Again, Paul in Ephesians chapter four verses thirty one through, um, through chapter five, really. He tells us that the things we, we should put away from us are bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, all of which are directed toward toward others um, uh, because of the things they, they may have done. Um, Paul says, What instead forgive one another. You've been forgiven by God in Christ, and love calls us to forgive others when we don't, when we don't, which is what um, John tells us is hatred, right? When we don't love, he says it's It's hatred. Christian love calls us to forgive. Fourth, Christian love calls us to speak the truth. This is not one that um, we jump at too quickly, is it? Paul uh, says again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, after he talks about the leadership in the church being used to build up the body so that we're not tossed about by bad doctrine, he says what? Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love, so that as a body you will grow up. We often have this idea that love is permissible, right? And love is accepting, and love is all of those things. As well, as long as you're listening well and supporting others well and encouraging others. Well, that, that's what love is. And those things are needed. Don't, don't hear me say that we don't need to accept and, and, and love people and, and, and treat them well, support them and encourage them. So all those things are necessary. But Christian love also calls us to speak the truth when there's error, when there's a correction needed. That's a loving thing to do. And then fifth, Christian love calls us to give up ourselves, closely related to some of the others. This could be the blanket. This could be the one, right? We could just say this one and, and move on. Christian love calls us to give up ourselves. Jesus um, himself says in John chapter 15 verses 12 through uh, 13 that we're to love one another as he has loved us, but then he turns up the heat and he says that the greatest love is that you would give up yourself. Christian love um, gives up self for the sake of others. What Jesus has done for us, expecting nothing in return, in fact, he says greater love has no one than this, than that he would do what? Give up his life. It's an old commandment made new by Christ's examples, and as followers, Christians love others. It's our brand, it's our mark, it's how we're to be known, and we could rattle off 15 more, 20 more, 30 more ways that we could love. And so here's what I want to do to invite us into I want to invite us into encourage you to take inventory of your life this week. Maybe think back on the last weeks and months. Um, In what ways have you been, uh, are are you open to the Spirit's work in you to to truly love others? To truly extend yourself toward others in love? How how are you actively showing people Jesus by how you love others? If this is our mark and, and and we need to grow up, in what ways would the Spirit be moving you? To love others well. Now as you take inventory of your life, the the outcome of that, at least it has been for me as I've thought through this this week, the the outcome of that inventory has the potential to be overwhelmingly discouraging. I've thought a lot about um, that this week as I've worked through this passage where I've seen areas in my life, the Spirit's brought to mind areas in my own life where I haven't loved others well, where I haven't loved Kirsten well my wife, where I haven't loved my boys well, where I've said things, sharp things to them, when when I've been impatient and I haven't loved them well, where I haven't um, loved some of my family members well, where I haven't loved uh, my friends or co-workers well, where I haven't um, loved some of you all well, maybe in ways that I don't even know about and as the, the spirit has brought some of those things to mind it, just the overwhelming thought has been man i i'm am, I am a selfish person i'm a really selfish person that, that doesn't love well and I, I i i i want to be quick to forgive but but i'm i'm just not where i need to be and i, I want to be patient but, or, but i'm not where i need to be and I, I want to be courageous enough to speak the truth but often i'm i'm not i'm i'm a coward in a lot of those things and, and the Spirit brought these things to mind over, over this last week as I was thinking through this passage and, and the thought that came to mind uh, was really overwhelmingly discouraging for me. What are you doing? Who are you? And, and this is also an area I think the enemy can quickly sneak in to torment all, uh, and show me all the ways I'm a loser and tempt us to despair in so many ways and, and point us to our our guilt and and then so the encouraging side is the, the world steps in then and says oh hey don't listen to the enemy love yourself right and so we've got these combating things going on it's almost as if john in this letter senses uh, this and senses the the spirit's work the enemy's desire to destroy and the wooing of the world to to encourage you to love yourself john steps in i think with this reminder of christian identity i think it's so helpful This reminder, you see it kind of sandwiched in there, the sing-songy back-and-forth bit in the letter, where he just brings us into this reminder of Christian identity. Who are you in Christ? Because of what Christ has already accomplished, who are you? And he goes through these different age categories in the church, this back-and-forth through uh, this poetic reminder, starting in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you little children, or, or to the church at large, or, or I'm writing to you fathers, those who, in the church who are, who are more mature, those men and women in the church who are more mature. I'm writing to you um, young men, the young men and women, the, those who are, are less mature. I'm writing to the church at large to encourage you, to, uh, to, uh, to, to remind you that your identity is secure in Christ because of what Christ has already accomplished. Let me just push all these together and show you the encouragement that we need. Verse 12, your sins are forgiven. Verse 13, you know Jesus, the one who's been from the beginning. Uh, Again, verse 13, by faith in Jesus, you have overcome the evil one. Uh, Verse 13, you know the Father. Verse 14, again, you know Jesus. Uh, uh, Verse 14, again, by God's grace, you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Let that rest on you. Jesus is our example in loving God others. Christians love others. That's our mark. That's our brand. Will we nail it every time? No. Uh, but be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. You know Jesus. You know the Father. You, by, by God's grace, have overcome the enemy. Your identity is secure. There is no, no need for scrambling to receive God's love. Who needs to hear that this morning? I do. I do. Right? Who is wavering? Who is struggling? Who is discouraged? Who feels beat down? Who, who feels like they can't do anything worthy of God's acceptance? We feel that way at times. Who's feeling like their sin is so overwhelming they don't know where to start? Who, we, we feel those things. Maybe just, I'll, I'll put it this way. Who right now is just feeling kind of blah? If by faith... Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your King and your God. We need to hear this and allow it to rest. Your sins have been forgiven. You know Jesus. He knows you. You know the Father. He knows you. By God's grace and with Him, with His help, you have overcome the evil one. His word dwells in you richly. In moments of discouragement and despair and doubt and just blah... God's word reminds us of our identity. These three verses in 1 John, places like uh, Ephesians chapter 1, that just go on and on about the blessings we've received in Christ, uh, the, the blessings we already have, places um, of certainty like what we read earlier in Romans 8, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to, uh, to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all Of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I encourage you to run to those verses, run through those those passages that we see our identity is is firmly rooted in Christ? But when we're tempted to despair and we're tempted toward discouragement, when we have these commands on us to love others, we think, oh, that's overwhelming. I don't know what to do. John knows the commands to love others is not easy, and he pushes against our fleshly desires. We need this reminder of Christian identity before he moves into the next imperative, the next command. In fact, it's the first imperative in the book so far. It's the first command really in the book so far. The the strong command given to those who follow Jesus is is this. Christians love others, but Christians also love God. Christians love God. I I know this is simple, but but it's also profound. Here's the command in verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's a strong command. Now, you might be asking, well, didn't you say it was Christians love God? Hang with me. Right? The command is, do not love the world or things in the world. Uh, hits every single one of us. Do not love the things of this, uh, this life. Do not foster affections for things this world has to offer. That command hit, hits each of us. That command hits each of us because we're affected by things here, possessions, money, power, position, authority, status, whatever it is, we're drawn to those things, to a love that the world has to offer. To some extent, we're drawn to those kinds of things. So this command hits us, and we often have one of two responses to this command. Do not love the world or the things in the world? We have a couple different responses, and I think a couple different ditches that we can go off on. First, we, we become legalistic, right? We hear this command, we think, yep, I'm going to do it. And before we know it, we've shoved off from the, the world altogether and we're making our own clothes by candlelight, right? And we're shooing horses with our co-op and we're doing all those kinds of things together. We, we've just shoved off from the world altogether. The, the other ditch I think we can get into it is this response to just disregard the command altogether as prudish and old-fashioned. You just don't understand. The world is progressing and we need to, to keep up with it. And, and, and it's all just legalistic and so I'm going to move in this direction. But both of those responses are dangerous because they're missing the point of the imperative. It's not necessarily what you do or don't do. There are, these are issues of the heart that pull us away from a love for God. These are heart issues, worship issues. It's not about what, what you have done or haven't done. It's not about what you, you, you could do or, or, or couldn't do necessarily. It's about our affections uh, that come from the heart. Do you love God? John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the, of the Father is not in him. If there are great affections for the things that the world has to offer, those affections are often at odds with affections for God. And in fact, John goes on in verse 16 and says, the things of this world are not from God, but from the world. And then John tells us what they are. He says, the desires of the flesh, right? Those things that that all humans desire. He's not talking about sensual things necessarily or or sexual things necessarily. The fleshly desires. When, you, uh, when your interest in the newest fashion causes you to think about, read about, dream about, sleep about, wake about, all of that, getting that new sweater or those new boots or those new green shoes, whatever it is that you're, you're looking for, it's likely that you have replaced your love and desire for God with a fleshly love and a desire for fill in the blank, whatever that is. Food, exercise, good grades, on and on and on, right? And, and, and all of those things are not necessarily evil. Those things are, aren't necessarily evil, but when they become the very thing that our lives revolve around, we're in danger of pursuing the desires of the flesh. That's what John is getting at, the desires of the flesh. He says, secondly, the, the desires of the eyes. Now, this is closely related. There, there are some nuances, though. There's this contrast tugging from the world to love the world, And and the best tactic the world has for us is to go after our eyes, what we see because it's linked to our heart. You know what that looks like, right? When the REI catalog comes in the mail and you think, ah, I'll just use that for wallpaper because I don't need anything. No one has ever thought that, right? What you think is a new ice axe for all the axing of the ice that I need to do and you want it, right? And so you go after it. That's the way our minds work, whatever that is for you. Maybe it's not the REI catalog. um, Do you get catalogs anymore? All right, yes. Richard says yes. Uh, The desires of the eyes that lead our hearts to to long for worshiping the thing and and not the the creator. John continues the, the pride of life. Or, or the pride in possessions, boasting about our things. Again, is it wrong to have things? It's not. Uh, but the heart that boasts in possessions leads you not to God. I don't know if you've experienced this or not. When you when you boast about the thing that you have or when you're excited about the thing that you have and you, you talk about it more and more and more, that wears off over time. And what do you need? You, you need more things. So you can have something that you can continue to talk about about possessions lead us to that often. And the thing that came to my mind when I thought about that this week was what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I want that. Far be it from me to to boast in anything else but Jesus. Where is our boasting? Is it in anything other than what would lead our eyes to see Jesus and the beautiful truth of the gospel. John says, Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are not from God, but of the world. Here's what we need to hear in verse 17. The world is passing away with all of that. But whoever does the will of God, whoever obeys God, whoever worships God, abides forever. The world is passing away with all of that. Whoever's eyes are fixed on Jesus it lives uh, forever, abides forever. I know this sounds simple I know this um, sounds simple and and, and in some ways I just want to keep it at that it's simple love of others love of God and sandwiched in between all of that is this your identity is in Christ by faith your identity is in Christ and I think the question that comes to my mind um, as I think through through all of this is I just go, I go to my my neighborhood, I think about my neighborhood and I think, would those in my neighborhood, would, would, would their perspective be, Vince loves God? Or, or would it be something totally different? Vince loves his car, Vince loves his yard. Vince loves, it's clearly not my car, if you've seen my car. Although I do, I am driving my dream car. Um, is it Vince loves, what is it? And so my mind goes there. Would, would those in your neighborhood, your classes at school, your coworkers, even your close family members, maybe even people who live in your house with you, would they say, um, that person loves, my mom, my dad, my, my sister, my, my brother, my, my friend, that person loves God. Or, or would their perspective be something completely different? Just, just think through that. Allow that to hit. I said this several weeks ago. Um, but, but when we sat in the emergency room the night that um, Ezra was taken down to Children's Hospital to be admitted, I, I, I gathered with Kirsten and Ezra that night, and my prayer with them um, was, I want people to see Jesus in us. That's what I want. I want. I want people to see our love for Jesus in all of this. Now, would I have chosen that to be something that, that my son would have to walk through? Absolutely not. That's what I, I want so badly. and I don't say that for my own fame because there have been absolutely been times where I failed miserably at that. but by God's grace He's working, I think in us to show people Jesus. and I want that more and more and more. I, I want that to be the case that that the things of this earth are passing away and that, that don't mean a whole lot to me in light of pointing to Jesus in light of worshiping, the God who made me to worship Him and provided a way for me to be near Him through Jesus. Friends, listen, John is clear. Christians love others and and they love God and our identity is not based on how well we do either. Say that again. Christians love others and Christians love God and our identity is not based on how well we do either but on what Christ has already accomplished. So this morning from the truth of God's word, where is the spirit of God poking on you? What conviction has been brought to your heart as we consider these very simple and profound Where's the Spirit poking, nudging at you? Is it in how you love others? Is it in your devotion to um, your worship of God? You'll be known by your love for others and your love for God. So what's the Spirit, what's the spirit doing this morning? How's the Spirit poking? I want to give you some time to just, just process that and think through that and pray and ask God, God, would you show me, would you open my eyes to, to seeing what I need to see? I think we need some space like that, just to just to be still and say, okay, we've we've just taken in a lot. There's some big, big commands here. They're old, but they're new. But but where's the spirit poking? I'm gonna give you some time to do that, and then we're gonna celebrate the. I think the the greatest gift of, of love that we have ever will ever see. Not I think. I keep saying I think. We we are going to celebrate the greatest love we'll, we'll ever see, and that. Um, is in the sacrifice of Jesus. Every week we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper together. We gather around these tables to celebrate what Jesus uh, gave to his disciples on uh, the night he was betrayed, the the day before he was to be crucified for sin, broke bread and shared wine with them and and gave them new uh, pictures of what was to come. Breaking the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you." Uh, for sin, broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, pointing to the bread and the wine. Take it and eat and drink in remembrance of me. And so every week together as a church family, we celebrate what? That we're all in desperate need of a Savior. And that we have a Savior. and That Savior is Jesus. Right? Our confession of sin, our confession of need is not embarrassing or belittling. It's actually... It's actually a beautiful picture of the gospel when we get to confess that we're in desperate need of Jesus. So we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for us. I want to give you some space right where you are to consider what the Spirit may be doing in you and on you. as you consider um, the the word that we've just looked at. Now I invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come and celebrate communion as we sing together. Let's pray. God, we... um, are thankful for your word. It, it brings to us the truth that we need at times. I know for me this week, it did really convicted by um, the, this thought of, of loving others well. It's a mark on my life of how I point to you. Would you help me, God, to, um, to see the ways in which my love for others has not been representative of how Christ has loved us, has loved me? God, my devotion to You where, I, where I've scrambled after so many other things. Would You show, um, keep bringing those things to mind so I can confess those and, and turn to You. I want, want to be devoted to You, pointing to You in all things. The things of this world would fade away and my eyes would be fixed on You, Jesus. So, uh, continue to bring that conviction to my heart, God, and... and God, my prayer is that I wouldn't um, then go into despair, but I would go into rejoicing that Jesus has covered my sin. And I rest in him. I rest in the fact that he's given his life so that I could be near you. That that would be then the overflow, the, the, the catalyst for my, my joyful obedience. Would you help me in that? And my, my friends as well. God, God the Spirit, where you are bringing conviction right now, I pray that you'd do that? Would you help us to be a a loving people? Help us to be um, the kind of people who love one another well, um, to to represent Christ, show Jesus. Help us in that. Where you're bringing conviction, God, I pray that we would have the courage to confess it as sin, be open-handed, and say, God, take this from me, that we would uh, then, by your grace, repent your help there. Resting on us today, God, I pray that it would be this: that our identity is in you because of Christ. We are your children. Sins have been forgiven. We know the Father, we know the Son. Word abides in us. Help us to believe them. All these things. In the name of Jesus.